Hey, everybody. We are live. My name is Andrew Krauss, and I co-founded EventRight with Stephen Key 20-plus years ago and been coaching inventory inventors to license their products ever since. And uh, during this uh, crisis, if you will, we've been doing these every, every week. And today we're doing it at a different time. We're doing it on a Monday. I want to see how it works for folks. So looking forward to answering your questions. So start typing your questions into the chat box and I'll answer them. If you could um, just need one or two people to type in, uh, you know, that, uh, that you can hear me okay. Just say yes if you can hear me. Um, didn't check if we promoted this on LinkedIn. Let me go to our LinkedIn page today. So far, we don't have that many people here. Well, I won't log in there right now. Um, okay, cool. So we're going to have some fun. Um, we'll go a whole hour if we get enough questions. If we don't get enough questions, we'll, we'll cut it short. But um, so let's just jump in. So uh, Khaled said, hi, Andrew, does the poor patent, okay, the poor patent protect your ideas as other types of patents? So I don't know what a poor patent is, but there is something that a lot of people used to do. They call it the poor man's patent, where you would write up your invention and put it in an envelope and then mail it to yourself and not open it up. And that has been proven in court over and over again that that does not stand up. It's called a poor man's patent. I don't know necessarily, Khalid, if that's what you're referring to, but it's good information anyway. And so do not do a poor man's patent. It will not stand up in court. It's useless. And I've had so many patent attorneys tell me that. So, and again, that, that is writing a patent up, putting it in an envelope, and then mailing it to yourself, and then keeping it closed, and then opening it in court and going, oh, I proved on this date I came up with my invention. doesn't work. Now, there is something called a provisional patent application, which you can spend, it only costs $70 with the patent office if you write it yourself and file it yourself. And that's a great thing to do, and it gives you a year to fish off the pier and see if anybody's interested. So I highly recommend provisional patents. We have some software on our website called Smart IP. You can buy it separately or when you become a boot camp student of ours or an academy student comes with the program, and you can use that to write a provisional patent application. So um, good question, Khalid. Thank you. So start typing your questions in if you guys have them. Uh, Hello, Andrew. Is it permissible to use pictures instead of drawings in a provisional patent application? I have a prototype that I can use in the picture form. Yeah, there are absolutely no formal requirements for a provisional patent application. You can scribble with crayon if you wanted to. Um, and you can include pictures. Um, now, what's nice about doing line drawings, which is absolutely not necessary, but it's nice, is it, it gives this, when you send a marketing manager, your provisional patent at the right point in time, it gives this perception. It kind of looks like a regular patent. So it's not required of a provisional patent. And, but you know, when you get a marketing manager, it's not looking at patents all day long and you have these line drawings. When you do a patent, the line drawings need to be very specific. They need to be done just a certain way to comply with a full utility patent. But with a provisional patent, there's no formal requirements. You could take pictures, you could do a, a sketch, you could do a line drawing, you can do what you can put whatever drawings you want in there. But one, as far as looking professional, if you do some line drawings that kind of look like patent drawings, again, no formal requirements, you don't have to do them just a certain way like you do for a full utility patent, um, it looks professional. Um, but you can absolutely include um, pictures, 
And I think in most cases, I don't think that that would hurt you. And you can definitely do that. Now, you can also um, stick a picture underneath um, a glass table, shine a light up above it, and you could you could create your own line drawings if you're fairly talented. It might not look good. If you're fairly good at drawing, you might be able to do that. Or you can pay somebody to do some affordable line drawings. But, yes, you can absolutely include pictures if you want to. So thank you for that question, Joe. So when you guys type in your questions, if you could um, put your first name. Some of you, you know, have YouTube usernames, and it's always nice to address you by your real um, first name. Uh, so that would be nice. Um, Raul says, hi, Andrew. Can I constantly submit new ideas to the same novelty company, even if I haven't heard back from the first submission, kind of like a submission queue? No, I would always wait to hear back from the first submission before you start bombarding them, and then you ask them, you utilize that first contact as a, a creating a relationship and you ask them, hey, you know, I, I come up with a lot of novelty ideas. Can I just send five to you at once or six, seven or eight? But if they haven't responded to that first one yet, I would not do that. Um, you know, I would definitely wait for them to respond to the first one and ask them if it's okay and how they would like to receive ideas. Oh, no, only one at a time. Or, oh, yeah, you can blast me with 10 of them. Just make it really clear. Um, with novelty, sometimes people just want to sketch. I don't need really fancy stuff. I'll get it as long as it's fairly clear. Um, so, but wait until you heard back from the first one. Um, let's see. Okay. Keith says, hi, Andrew. Do you have any inventor friendly company suggestions that accept outside ideas without a patent or having to sign an NDA. Um, I, I, I don't know what you mean. So if, if, if it's a major company that's in a major retailer where you want to be, first of all, you don't have to know they're inventor friendly. That's, that's um, a rookie move. If they're in a major retailer, you'll find out if they're approachable. You'll approach them. They say, hey, buddy, take a hike, which they never do. Um, well, then you'll know. So this perception that you need to know they're friendly is BS. Don't, don't do that. Um, if they're a major manufacturer, approach them. And you might have to approach a couple people in the company before you get the right person. That's okay. Um, so do, do you have any suggestions for inventor-friendly companies that accept outside ideas without a patent? So most companies are okay with a provisional patent. Any company that requires you to have an issued patent, they're basically saying, we don't want your ideas. They're too big. Their, their policy is ridiculous, if you ask me. If you have to have an issued patent to send a product to a company and that's their policy, they're archaic. Um, and you don't see that that often these days. Or they're just so big, they're one of these mega corporations, that's the way they keep people out. And they're basically stupid to do that because they, um, they don't want the liability. And they're too afraid. They're afraid of you. They're afraid of being sued. So don't worry about it if you get a few companies that say, oh, you have to have an issued patent because there's tons of them. You file a provisional for 70 bucks and they'll receive your idea. So don't. Most companies are okay with receiving ideas without an issued patent. You didn't say issued, but um, or having to sign an NDA. So sometimes they want you to sign their NDA. And that's fine. Read through it. As long as it's okay, go ahead and send it in. But if it says, Oh, we'll pay you a maximum of $5,000 and you automatically will license the product to us if we're interested. Well, I would never sign that. 
Or, well, we don't have to pay you if we like your idea. Or whatever you send us, we own. So you have to read their NDA or NCA, non-confidentiality agreement or submission agreement. Something is all wrapped into one to make sure you're okay with it. But I'm okay if they want you to sign something. You just got to read through it and make sure you're okay with it. Um, one thing that people freak out on quite often is it says that it's not what you submit is not confidential. Well, if you filed your provisional patent application, most of our students are okay with that. I'm not giving you legal advice. Always to seek the services of an attorney. If you're looking for legal advice, it's a disclaimer for everything that I'm sharing on this YouTube stream and always. Um, but, uh, you know, read through their submission agreement or NDA. So you don't need to know. Yes, you can sit. A lot of them won't ask you to sign theirs. And if they do, read it through it. If you're okay with it, just go ahead and send it in. And always file a provisional patent. That's our advice. Um, let's see. Okay, Keith, I think you're a little green because you're, but these are good. So it shows, and I think a lot of other people are new too. Your other question was, um, hi, Andrew, how long does the company rent our product idea until we can manufacture it ourselves? Um, the whole goal with licensing is for you to never have to manufacture it yourself. The goal is for them to sell it as long as it can continue to sell. And so most agreements are, are three or five years, and they'll, a lot of them will automatically renew with the same terms, providing they're selling enough you know, that you've uh, agreed upon that they will sell and then they can automatically renew. Other ones, I don't, it blows my mind, but they won't ask to be able to continue it. And then you can go back and renegotiate it. I'm surprised that companies will do that. I, as a company, would always be like, well, if we want to, we can continue to license it indefinitely, providing we make the minimum guarantees of those other terms. So the goal isn't to ever get it back to manufacture it yourselves. But I think probably what you're saying, Keith, is like if they don't perform, can I get it back? Um, and absolutely. And yes, you could manufacture it yourself. But the whole idea of licensing is that they have the big bucks to push it out, the workforce and the great distribution. To start a one product company and sell it yourself with no distribution, no employees, no money is crazy expensive and crazy risky. And I admire people that do it, but most inventors don't want to do that. So, um, but yeah, usually it's three to five years quite often. It all depends on what's in the contract. And usually if they're smart, they'll say, okay, we get to continue as long as we meet these terms. Um, but sometimes there's nothing determined. After three years, you can renegotiate the whole thing. Um, let's see. Uh, so I don't have your name here, 730. What's the difference between a boot camp student and an academy student? So we have uh, boot camp students are students of ours that are doing one-on-one -on -one coaching for half a year. So every single week they meet with their coach, they email their coach, and then they have our negotiation coach, Paul, waiting in the wings to help them. That's one-on-one -on -one coaching. Academy is group coaching twice a week for an hour. You're in a group, 15 to 20 other people. And that's great as well, but you can't publicly disclose your invention, you know, because you've got all these other inventors on the line. Now with one-on-one, -on -one, you can say anything and everything you share with your coach is confidential. With the group co coaching, it's more limited because, um, because you can't disclose your invention. But you use a lot of things you can say, oh, this company said this back, what should I say next? Or, 
you know, there's a lot of things you do, but there's a big price difference too with Academy and Bootcamp. If you go to InventRight, click on coaching, you can look at both of those programs. Um, seven, that was from 730. Um, that's not a time, that's his handle. Uh, uh, Andrew says, not me, another Andrew, great name, by the way. Uh, is it possible to license an idea with $0 in your pocket? That's a fun question. Um, it's not fun that you have $0 in your pocket, but it's a fun question. A PPA costs 65 now it's 70 um, And without 3D rendering skills, is licensing possible for people with no money at all? What company accepts a sketched idea? So, Andrew, um, I don't think people that are that financially thin should be licensing. I think the focus should be on uh, raising money because just small amounts of money so you can do it right. So if you can't afford a $70 provisional, you need to do something that's bringing that money in so you can. Um, you need to be able to afford doing a sell sheet and maybe a basic virtual prototype or something that you can um, – uh, you know, create a prototype just so it looks like and take a picture of it. So that, you know, a lot of projects, literally you can spend less than 200 bucks, 70 bucks for a provisional, a few bucks for your marketing materials, and then just your hard work. So if you don't have 200 bucks, you shouldn't be doing licensing right now. Now save up the money, cancel your Netflix, do, you know, save up money and a couple months from now you'll have the 200 bucks. So I think anybody has enough money to license, but to say you want to do it with absolutely zero money, I don't think that's right. Now there are some companies, novelty type companies where you can just do a sketch, but most of the time I'd like to see a more professional um, marketing piece, show them how they're going to sell it. And they're never going to market it with sketches. Sketches are for like novelty companies where they're like, oh, show me a bunch of concepts and most companies won't be okay with that. They won't take you seriously. That's like you've established a relationship with a novelty company that wants to see a lot of ideas. And they're like, they're like one of the ones that said, I'm okay with that. Most companies, you shouldn't be doing that. And if you have absolutely $0, you, you, you know, you should always file a provisional. Could you not file it? Show it to a company, take that risk. Yes, you could never advising people to do that. Um, and if you had your own graphic design skills can make a beautiful sell sheet. Okay, so you could take these risks, but I think it makes sense to spend a couple hundred bucks to invest in a project. Um, but we're all about keeping it low cost at InventRight. That's always been a big part of our approach. For you to mortgage your house and home, you know, just to pitch this one product, then you can't go on the next project. That's totally the opposite of the InventRight approach. But it's what a lot of inventors do. They go out and spend ten grand on a on a prototype uh, patent and five grand on a patent and oh, there is no interest, or they just call two or three companies after that. So a lot of people get a false sense of moving forward by spending money and, and usually just like not doing any work. Oh, I'll just get the patent attorney working on that. I'll get the prototype working on that. And then when it comes back to them, they don't do anything. And then their wife or their husband is saying, no, you're not spending money on another project like that. You're not doing that again. And so when you're licensing using the InventRight approach, nobody's going to be saying that to you. Always have the financial bandwidth to move onto your next project because of the techniques we teach you. Could you do that with $0? No. If you had great graphic design skills, you're willing to risk not filing PPA, which I do not advise. Yes, you could do it for $0, but um, I, I don't really advise that. Um, 
Todd, I have a unique idea that will likely appeal to multiple licensees. How can I ensure I present my invention to multiple key vendors and get the best deal? It's like we covered this last week. It's a shotgun blast. You're blasting out to everybody and you're moving forward with everyone as if the other ones don't exist. And you'll be left with the best deal. It just works itself out. It's rare that one of our, our, our students will call 30 companies and 20 of the 30 are interested. Now, it's not unusual to have five out of 30 interested, but that's initial interest. And you move forward with everyone as if the other ones don't exist and they naturally fall off. To be at the final contract stage with multiple companies is pretty unusual. So, but inventors would never do that. You know, most inventors won't push it out to 30 at the same time. And I'm telling you, you want to shoot yourself in the head if you don't, because it'll go forever. I mean, it could take you a year to get back to everybody because one shows a little interest and then you stop or you just do one at a time. My God, don't do that. That's the biggest rookie move I can imagine. So do never, never, never do that. Um, so that was from Todd. Great question, Todd. Let's see. Arthur says, can I team up with another event rights student for an invention? If, if I do and we succeed at licensing our product, how can we divide our royalties? Well, other inventors are the last people that want to team up with you, Arthur, because they all think their ideas are better than yours. So I don't find typically, I find that if it's a husband and wife, it's two best friends, um, sometimes father, daughters, or moms, sons. I've seen a lot of those combos. This great, those kind of teams are great. But teaming up with another inventor that you don't know well and you're both idea people and you don't have a different skill set, I find that to be a recipe for disaster. Um, also, what you're really saying, Arthur, is, oh, well, I don't want to do any work. I just want to have the idea. And an invent rights student knows that it's more about the work than the idea itself. And they value the work. And when somebody says, I just want to dump this all on you, doesn't go over very well, and they're always going to be more interested in their ideas than you. So my and Stephen's approach, in our opinion, is you should always, nobody will be as interested in your idea as you, so you should be the one pushing it forward, and you're capable of it, and it's not as hard as you think. It's not a piece of cake, but it is new, and once you learn those skills, it's not hard, it's just work. And you need to learn those skills and do it yourself, because nobody will be as interested as you in it. And that goes for trying to get some of these invention promotion companies to help you too. I have never personally met an inventor that had an invention promotion company license their product in 20 years. But every single day we talk to somebody who's been spent 10 or 12 grand with these companies every day. Um, so that's just a fact. So if you're not willing to do the work yourself um, and reach out to companies, nobody else will really do it for you. And, um, and another inventor isn't necessarily the best person. Unless you have very different skill sets, then it could make sense. But um, let's see. Javier, are you more likely to get a licensing agreement from a smaller toy company versus a top well-known toy company? Should you hold for the possibility of licensing a top well-known company and pass by a small company? Again, people overthink this stuff, guys. I was going to use the word, the S word, but people overthink this stuff. Approach them all. Don't overthink it. Otherwise, you're just up in your own fantasy world in your own head. Get it out there to the big guy, the little guy, everybody, and see what sticks to the wall because most of them won't be interested. But you only need one. 
So get it out there to everybody. Don't even think twice about it. Um, can you make a living from licensing from Kelvin? Yeah, you absolutely can, but it's not an overnight thing. So imagine like if you close a deal today, for a lot of products, it varies tremendously by products. It's going to take them three to nine months to put into production, maybe even a year. And then you get paid your royalties every three months. So then it has to have sold in the stores for three months because you get paid your royalties quarterly usually. 99.9% .9 of the deals we've done, that's the case. Um, I've seen a few deals where they have to pay you monthly, and you shouldn't even ask a company to do that. That's ridiculous for them to do the books monthly, but you do it quarterly. So three to nine months put into production, maybe a year, and then, uh, hold on, these notices are popping up on my computer and they're distracting because I'm here to help you guys not look at notices popping up on my computer. Um, and then it takes another three months to, to get your royalties as they sell the product. You know, it's been selling for three months, then you get your royalties. So um, it's not a it's not a get rich quick thing, you know. Maybe one project's earning you 100k a year in royalties. Another one, some little novelty thing, not really big seller, but it's earning you 20k a year in royalties. You know, and so to make a living, you know, it's going to depend on what is your lifestyle. And I, I would recommend licensing maybe two products before you would quit your day job because you never know when the royalties for that product are going to drop off. Maybe it sells for 20 years. Maybe it sells for two. You just don't know. And, you know, maybe it sells like great, like making 100K a year in royalties sells for five years. So that's a half a million dollars. And then it just falls off the face of the planet because something else came in the marketplace. Product didn't make any more sense. You didn't update them with what the new version of the product could be. Maybe there was no updates and it went to nothing. You know, maybe you're making 20K a year and it sells for um, 10 years and that's 200K you know, a year. So, you know, can you make a living with licensing? Absolutely. But does it happen overnight? No. So I always tell people, if that's your goal, you got to work on a lot of projects and give yourself like a two to three year timeline and only quit your day job when you've got like two products licensed and you have royalties coming in from two of them. So if one drops off, you still have royalties coming in from another. That would be a conservative way of looking at it. Um, Stephen and myself, and here in Event Right, we do not sell get rich quick. Can you make a lot of money with licensing? Yes, but it's not a get rich quick overnight thing. Now, what's great is it's all the risk is on them. So all the money risk, all the work, and all that you still have to do the work to close the deal, but then it's all on them. So that's huge. And you work on moving forward to license other products. You keep your day job, keep your business. So there's tremendous flexibility. But if you want to go full time with it. Um, don't quit your day job until if you want to be conservative of two products licensed that are bringing royalties in currently, that would be the conservative way. That's what I always tell people. Um, Tangela, what do you suggest one does if your idea or patent wouldn't be helpful, wouldn't be helpful during the COVID times? I, I don't know. I mean, I would say, 95% of the products that our students are in deals with right now have nothing to do with COVID. So um, we, we have actually more deals right now in play than we normally do. They're taking longer, but they're not falling off. So now is a great time to be licensing. So Tangela, if you're under the impression that you can't do licensing deals now, it couldn't be further from the truth. Actually, what our students are experiencing is they're able to get into companies easier because not companies, but to the people, because they're working from home, they're paying more attention to their email, LinkedIn, and you're able to get feedback a little faster from a percentage of them. There's still plenty of them that ignore you and you need to 
send follow-ups four or five times before they respond. That's just part of licensing. Um, so don't assume that people aren't doing deals that aren't COVID-related items, not at all. Um, our students are in uh, tons of deals right now. Um, but I mean, I'm not sure what that one is, okay. Um, let's try to find some new people I haven't answered questions from. Steve says, hi Andrew, I have 20 ideas. Do I make every single one of uh, the sell sheet or do it like Steven? Make one line description. When they're interested, I make a 3D model. Then I do a sign a PPA. Then do I sign a PPA? That's not what Steven does, guys. It's not what our students do. I know Stephen has talked about in old videos doing a one-line benefit statement, and he gave an example of this little novelty item. It was a little suction cup with an arrow on it, and it said, I'm stuck on you, and he licensed that to a novelty company for, for um, Valentine's Day. So he did that, but I, I don't find that that will be the way most of you will license products with one-sentence um, benefit statements, you do need to do a sell sheet. And sometimes people misinterpret things from videos we've done. Um, Steven is not saying you should be running around trying to license stuff with one sentence descriptions. Now, you need to show them how they're going to market it, and that needs to be a sell sheet or a video. Um, now, and if you're in like a novelty business or something like that, where you have to crank out a lot of ideas, yes, yeah, possible there if you have a relationship with somebody in a company, but that's not how most of you are going to be doing it. So I'm glad I was able to clear that up for you, Steve. Um, uh, Jason says, also all-star products are right up my alley, but their portal form has language that makes me believe they own it after I send it. Do you know that this is true or safe to send them? We haven't had any problems with them. All our students send to All-Star. They're a DRTV company all the time. You know, it's a really weird submission form. And basically, if you read through that, it's it's more about, it's more like a website agreement where it's saying, like, when you submit stuff through the website that we, we, we can reprint what you send. It's very oddly worded. Um, and I've never had anybody say, oh, one of our students, oh, All-Star took my idea or anything like that. I've never seen that happen. But I do agree, Jason, that it's very oddly worded. So I, I can't comment specifically on it, but I've never had a problem. I've never had a student of ours have a problem with All-Star. Um, you know, the, the, the DRTV business is more than a bit sharky, but I've, I've found that they're pretty reliable for the most part. Um, so... Uh, yeah, but that the wording on there is weird. I've had a lot of people ask me that, and I don't know why they change it. So maybe you go around their submission form and just send directly to them, ask them to send direct. Um, okay, uh, Benedict says, is it bad etiquette to contact the company multiple times? I've gotten some no's from several companies, but thought because they haven't seen but thought because they haven't seen my idea, they weren't interested. I just want to send my sheet. Okay, well, I don't know what you mean by that, Benedict. I mean, they gave you a note to submitting your sell sheet or they gave you a note to your product. 
Um, uh, it's okay to reach out to them more than once, absolutely. Um, so I'm not clear if if they said no. If, if you're saying they said no to a first product and now can I submit more? So whenever they say no to your first product, say no problem. I got other products. I think that might be a right match for you in the future. Can I send them to you? And if they say yes, then go ahead and send them more in the future. So I don't know if that's your question, but if, you know, so I don't know if you're, sometimes people say, oh, this company said they want my idea. And I'm like, oh, okay. So they, so they saw your sell sheet. No, they haven't seen it yet. I'm like, oh, you mean they said it was okay to send? It's like, it's funny how people think sometimes when they're new to this and they're confused about things. But um, so I, I don't know if I can specifically answer your question, Benedict, but if it's, um, if they received your first idea and they weren't interested, is it okay to send more? If you ask them and they say yes, absolutely. Um, what kind of... Uh, Zavia, uh, what kind of financial resource should I have set aside for legal services when licensing a product? That's a good question. So with our approach, with the patent stuff, um, you know, if you use our smart IP software, you can file a provisional U.S. provisional patent for $70. So you're not spending 10 grand on a patent. Okay, that's very reasonable. One of the things you'll try to get them to agree upon is to pay for the patent if they're interested in the patent. But don't do that before you get interest. See if there's an interest level and then get them to pay for the patent. So that covers that as well, if you can get them to pay for the patent. Um, then the other legal thing that people aren't thinking about is a licensing attorney. Now, when our students get interest, we guide them to the deal of being about 95% done, so they don't need to contact the licensing attorney. When a deal's about 95% done, we'll say, look, this deal's done. We're going back for this company for two, three months, and we're helping the student. Just get a licensing attorney for an hour or two to dot the I's across the T's before you sign. So that we... We know of a licensing attorney that with our students, because we get deals so far done with our students, they agree to do one for like 350 bucks um, on a contract that we've helped the student get to 95% done. Because And then that's a smart thing to do. You want an attorney reviewing it, but if you get them reviewing it too soon, licensing attorneys are notorious deal killers. And they'll nitpick it to death. They'll piss the company off. They'll still send you a bill, and now the deal's dead. And we're a lot more practical about it. But... We don't want people signing an agreement without a licensing attorney looking at it, but going back and negotiating, getting them to change it. There's nothing signing. You're not signing anything. There's no risk there. Perfectly fine. And then getting an attorney to review it. So I would say it could be a little bit more than that. Um, that's only because one of our students um, has been working with us and we got them that far. If you call a licensing attorney every time you get a little interest, you could easily spend three grand or more with a licensing attorney, they'll kill the deal and still send you a bill. So I'm biased. I think we're a lot better at helping move people along. Now, when our students have been through a deal with us, they know themselves how to get deals to 95%. So every time they get interest, they're talking to the company. They're not running to some attorney that's going to kill the deal for them. They work so hard to get it on the table. And they're not signing anything yet, so it's not risky. you know. And then, But you want a licensing attorney to dot the I's and cross T's before you sign anything, always. Um, so I'm beating up licensing attorneys, but I'm also saying they're great at the tail end. That's what I'm saying. And we're, we believe we're a lot better, and we train our students to be a lot better than licensing attorneys are in the negotiations. Um, let's see. Oh, God, that's a... So Daryl says, hi, Andrew, in your opinion... 
why do you think that people who want to be inventors fail or falter along the process of reaching their goal? Oh God, that's, I, I need a whole hour to go into that. Um, I can go into some of the main things. Um, people fail because they're doing all the wrong things. People fail because they make assumptions with what the process is and what they should be focusing on. Um, most people, when they get an idea, they think the first thing to do is get a patent. It's absolutely never 100% of the time ever the first thing to do is studying the marketplace. How does it fit in? You know, is this product licensable if you're licensing? So um, people get this false sense of moving forward, Daryl, by spending money. Spending money on patents and spending money on prototypes. And the reason why they do that is because they don't know what to do. They don't know how to study the marketplace. They don't know how to make a sell sheet. They don't know how to reach out to companies. They don't know how to file a provisional patent. They don't know how to do all these things. So they go, oh, well, I have this brilliant idea. I'll just need somebody to do these things for me. And But the thing is, the filing of a patent or provisional patent and the making of a prototype is only a small fraction of the process. And so they get this false sense of moving forward. So then they spend a ton of money on a patent, ton of money on a prototype, and they still don't know where they're going. And neither of those things were quite often necessary. So with the prototype, maybe you could have done a virtual prototype. Maybe it's just pretty obvious. Like, why did you spend all that money when it was pretty obvious how it was going to be made? Why don't you just go fish off the pier, showing them your marketing piece to see if there's interest? And then... With the patent, like, why in God's name would anybody file a patent if you can file a provisional for $70 and get a year? Now, um, people file provisionals, but then they don't start calling, like, the next week. You should be starting to call companies the next week so you fully utilize the whole year the provisional gives you. But people don't know how, and I understand that. And that's and that's that's okay, but what good do these things do? So one of the things – I could go on and on forever, but one of the things people do is they, they get a false sense of moving forward by spending money. So that's a big thing. Um, they also, a lot of people will move forward literally not knowing if they want to sell it themselves or if they want to license it. And those are two completely different paths. Manufacturing and selling it yourself is a completely different path than licensing it for royalties. Completely different path. And so they start going down, you know, patents, prototype stuff. And, and I talk to people every day and they just don't know what where they're going. But they're spending all this money and that's absolutely craziness um then you get people that aren't willing to do the work so people go well i got this great idea and so i just need somebody to take it and run with it i i of course i couldn't do this i can't approach these big companies which they totally can um and they end up getting victimized by invention promotion oh yeah we have the contacts we'll do it and they just sit on their hands for a year pretending to work on your project and the inventor spends 10 or 12 grants. The other mistake people make is they go with invention promotion companies. You know, um, that's the other mistake. Um, so I don't know what all that noise is out there. Sorry about that, guys. Um, okay, got better. Um, I can think of a lot. Of, hold on just a second, guys. Sorry about that, guys. Um, so spe spending money, feeling like you're moving forward by spending money, assuming the process. You'll learn a lot by watching our InventRight TV channel on 
the process. Um, you can also get our book, One Simple Idea, which is very affordable. I'd suggest you get that as well. Um, learn the process and then decide which path you want to go down. Venturing, which is a fancy way of saying make it and selling yourself, or licensing, which is receiving royalties, dumping the whole thing on the company um, and moving on licensing other products. Um, so decide venturing or licensing. Don't just blow a bunch of money on stuff and feel like you're moving forward because you're not, because you're usually blowing money on things you don't need to. Um, and if you do need to spend money on other things, spend them at the right time when you really need to and learn, learn when that is. Um, and then the, the unwillingness to do the work. So even though licensing is one thousandth the work of starting your own business, it's still work. So it's not going to be no work to license your product and you need to do that work. So I would say that our students are successful. It's not because of their products, because of the work they put in. No, you can't have a product that doesn't make any sense, of course. But if I had a student that had these really cool thing, but he half-assed the effort with reaching out and doing the right things, and this person with it, eh, it's okay, and they really pushed out, they'll probably license the product before the guy with the product that's really mind-blowing, but half-asses the work in reaching out. So do the friggin' work. And it's not hard work once you get familiar with it, but you need to be willing to be uncomfortable on your first project because you're doing two things on your first project. You're doing, and we're, we're helping you do and say everything right if you're getting our help, but you're also learning at the same time and you'll feel uncomfortable. So embrace that discomfort and be observant and kind of curious about all of it and don't beat yourself up. And people will not be yelling at you. Why are you calling me? You know, it's a stupid idea. People won't say that kind of stuff to you guys. And I think there's, whether it's subconscious in the back of your head, like they might, those things might happen. <clears throat> I think people are afraid of things that might happen. And then other people, I'll just be honest with you, they're just, they're just lazy. You know, you can't just have ideas and not do any work. Yeah, licensing isn't nearly the work of running a business, but it's still a bunch of freaking work. So you have to be willing to jump in and do it. So thank you, Daryl, for the question. I, I can ramble a lot on that. I think I rambled enough on it, but it's a good question. I, I think a lot, everybody else benefited from it as well. Um, and I'm not being critical when I say these things. Uh, you're asking me what I've observed over the last 20 years. Where, where do people, what are their, what are their, you know, what do people do wrong? Um, Let's see. <laughs> Stacy. Hey, Andrew, next week can both of you, you and Stephen, answer questions? I don't want you to get overworked. Thank you, Stacy, for thinking of me. But I have no problem with talking. Um, to get both of us on it, it requires special software to do that. I I found some new software where I can stream simultaneously on YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. I think I might do that. If we do that, maybe it'll have the functionality where Stephen and I can both be on. But Stephen's like, Andrew, I see how much you love the q and I'm not doing that. You do it. So that, that's what he said, um, which was nice of him, and I love doing it. So don't, don't worry about it, Stacey. I don't mind. Um, uh, Steph said, how much is a PPA provisional patent? Last time I checked is 70, but it might be 75 now. It used to be 65. And I was still saying that. I'm like, oh, it's 70 now. I forget if it's 70 or 75. Who cares? It's $5. Um, uh, 
Um, but it's either 70 or 75 staff, I forget. Um, let's see. Oh, okay. Um, that's a good question. Alex says, how much liability is there in licensing? Is an LLC really necessary or is a sole proprietorship fine? You know, I answered this last week when we did Q&A. Um, I've never had one of our students ever get in trouble in a licensing deal from either from their licensee or infringing or getting sued by um, a consumer. Like I've had people work on high liability products that are like ladders that you could slip and fall on. If somebody's going to sue somebody, they're going to sue the company. They're not going to sue you. But that's why it's it's additional measure of protection that when you do your first deal, do it under an LLC and then insist that they're covered under, you're covered under their product liability insurance. So you're covered every way should wait till Tuesday. Their product liability insurance, when you do a deal, go ahead and file an LLC then if you don't have one. And then also the fact they don't even know you exist and that you don't have deep pockets so they're going to want to sue the company. So you covered every which way till Tuesday. Could something happen? Yeah, it could. Um, but I've never had it happen to one of our students in, in 20 years, 20, almost going on 21 years now. So, uh, you know, it's so funny that people ask that. You know, I hope that's not holding people back. Uh, maybe we should talk. I should talk about that on the YouTube show again. I have done that before. Um, Okay, this is a good one from Joe. When making a licensing agreement, is the percentage agreed upon uh, based off the gross or the net income from the product? So the it's really easy to track. So it's on the wholesale price. So it's the price. So let's say you're selling bar barbecue spatulas, right? It's the price the barbecue accessory company is selling the barbecue spatula to Walmart for. So it's the wholesale price. And if you need to audit them, there's always should be an audit clause in the contract. Again, I've never had one of our students audit a licensee, but just in case you don't feel like something's right, you can. Um, and so when that's really easy to audit. You can see the price they sold to the retailer for, because you can never track with discounts, and with sales and everything's on sale these days. It's the price they sold it to the retailer for. And it's it's net, um, but you have to define net. So usually, and that's one thing we go over with a lot of our students, how to define net. And so certain things are okay, but you want it to be really clear. Only certain things are going to come out, like returns or go-backs. But a lot of times, the contract you'll get to be very broad how they define net. We never let our students sign that because they could whittle your royalties down to nothing if you're not very specific on how you define that. So that's very, very important. Um, we really do a lot to protect our students. And I've seen people that have done licensing deals. They didn't properly interview the company. The contract was terrible. And guess what? Nothing happened. You know, and I've talked to inventors, not our students or even our fans, that they did licensing deals. And when I ask, I, it blows my mind that an inventor wouldn't have this common sense. I asked them where they sell their products, the company they license to. They couldn't tell me. What stores are they in? They couldn't freaking tell me. Why in God's name would you do a license? They were just so excited. The company was interested. They signed a licensing deal. And there was no minimum guarantees, and they didn't even know where the company was going to sell. Are you kidding me? Guys, don't make that mistake. So, um, But these are good things. You, you guys are hearing this stuff. And you're like, oh, okay, I'll keep that in mind. So this is good stuff for you guys to hear. Um, Let's see. 
Uh, Mike says, hi, Andrew, I'm not an EventRide student yet and have a product that I'm ready to get started with. What, in your opinion, is my first step is the sell sheet? I would say 95% of uh, new students that have made a sell sheet before they come to us, it's not good enough. It needs to be fixed substantially or at least a fair amount. Um, so I don't think you need to do a sell sheet, Mike, before you come to us. I think something crude maybe, like, oh, I think, you know, here's some of the – I think that's something that our coaches really, really help out with. So you need to know what the bullet points are, benefit statement, what would be the right pictures. And so to talk with your coach about your product, about the other products in the space, looking at their marketing, looking at what you can do, I find that our students get up and running with that a lot faster and they're way more on the mark than if they've done something themselves beforehand. So I absolutely don't think that you have to have done a sell sheet before you become a student. Um, you don't have to have done anything, to be honest with you. Um, but I think, you know, studying the marketplace, looking at all the other products in that space, but it's not what you think. A lot of people think like, oh, I'm going to look at all the other products in the space and you either consciously or unconsciously saying this, I'm going to prove there's nothing like it. That's exactly what you don't want to do. Now, oh, my goal is you, you're going to go, you're going to be doing your marketing research with blinders on if you just, if your whole goal in looking on Google images and looking at all the other products in the space of your product is to prove there's nothing like it. You're trying to go, oh, there's like these eight products here and they have this benefit. And there's a few over here that have this and price ranges from here to here. This is the type of marketing they're doing here. That's what you, and oh, mine would fit in here. And yeah, you might find, oh, I'm going to find the exact same thing. You might find that. And I'm not saying you're not looking for that. But if you if it's the only thing you're looking for, you're doing a piss poor job of studying the marketplace, which is the first step in your system. So doing some of that, Mike, would be a great thing to do before you become a student. Look, looking. But here's the thing. People left to their own devices like you could look and go, oh, I found something kind of in this space. And you might go, oh, well, I'm not going to do this. Where a coach might say, oh, that's great. It proves there's a market and you've got a point of difference and we can make an even better point of difference by doing this and that. And so I worry that sometimes people, first of all, people don't do enough studying the marketplace to see how their product fits in. So that's great. But then I worry that people come to the wrong conclusions when they do it and then they're not looking for the right things. So even that, you'd be better with our guidance. But if you're going to do one thing, Mike, I would say that would be a great thing to do. Um, and don't assume that you find somewhat similar things that means there's not a market for it that could actually validate your product. But it depends on the product, right? So it's nice to have a coach to talk to and go through all that stuff. Um, yeah, it doesn't – so uh, um, you didn't put your first name, but this person's in the U.K., L Elizons 21 um, hi, Andrew. Any advice for someone as a provisional patent in the UK but wish to license the idea to an American company, or does the legislation in which the country resides doesn't doesn't matter? So the UK and the US are both part of the Patent Cooperation Treaty. So all our UK students and international students just file a US provisional patent from now on. Um, and in a roundabout way, if a, a company in the UK shows interest or another European country, you'll be covered in a roundabout way with your provisional because you can later file a PCT and then later file a UK patent if you want to. So all our international students just file a US provisional. It just keeps it simple. Um, so, and more than likely, 
are you way more likely to license to, we've had students license to products in the UK, absolutely, to UK companies. Are you more likely to license to a US or Canadian company than a European company? Yes. And would you ever want to limit yourself just to UK companies because you're in the UK? Absolutely freaking not. Um, European companies are open to licensing, but American companies are a little bit more open. So I'd reach out to both European and American and Canadian companies for the most part. Um, that's where most of our students focus. But there's literally no difference between you and an American invent rights student or a person licensing. Not all of you guys are going to become students of ours, but um, there's no difference. So, it, you know, it, you don't have to limit yourself to your geography. And because you are more likely to license in the U.S., I'd always focus on U.S. and Canada. But, yeah, you should you should add European companies there as well. So that's a common question. Xavier um, uh, says, is there a wholesale price on things licensed to as seen on TV market? Yeah, uh, most. So a lot of the as seen on TV, recently they're doing a lot more direct marketing. Like they do the as seen on TV spot, but 95% of the product is sold at a Walmart or a Target. Like somebody's like, hey, I'm not going to order from the number. And a lot of people, you know, anyway, so they're not going to order from the number, but you're strolling down the aisle of, of uh, Walmart and you're like, oh, I saw that on TV. I know what that is. I'll throw it in the cart. And if I don't like it, I'll just return it next time I'm back at Walmart. So a lot of these DRTV companies, they sell, they, it's going to be wholesale just like anybody else. They sell to Walmart and that's what you get your your royalty on usually enough they're selling direct you can get the royalty on their direct sale and it's going to be lower and the drtv times guys really beat you down on direct sales more than any other industry other industries sometimes they'll pay you the same amount which is actually i've seen this they'll pay you the same five percent but it's getting you're getting double because quite often the wholesale is half of the retail um, but they'll really beat you up on those direct sales with the drtv guys and they'll give you a much lower royalty, which is pretty normal. And usually they, they like to sell insane volume. So they'll guarantee you insane volume. And you're like, oh, crap, you got to sell that much? Okay, I'm okay with that lower royalty if you're guaranteeing that much. Um, a lot of those DRTV companies are now doing online Facebook advertising and stuff. So that's why you want to be careful with the DRTV guys that what their plan is. Is it just to do some Facebook stuff? And ads, or is it to blow it out big? You know, you got to verify what their what their goal is. That's the place where a lot of people fall down. Is they don't interview the company. Yeah, they're a huge company, but are their intentions huge? You could find a large company or a medium sized company, and they got big plans for your product. You're, you're going to hold them to it in the contract. You got this ginormous company, but their plans for your product are little. Like I remember this one company showed interest. And we guided the students, interviewed them, and they said, oh, no, no, we would just put it on Walmart online, not push it out to all our major retailers. And we want to see how it does. Well, that's a very different commitment. So that's a big mistake that inventors make. And I think you just feel our students have a lot of confidence because we're guiding them to interview. And other inventors feel like, um, well, I, I just don't want to push them. And that's a giant mistake, guys. It's a giant mistake. And these questions you ask them are perfectly fine. They'll actually respect you more for it. 
like, wow, this guy's not that like that whacked out inventor who's asking these stupid questions. He really knows what he's doing. He knows more than me. You're going to know more than some of these marketing managers when you know how to ask questions appropriately. Um, let's see what else we got here. We're coming up about, we got about seven minutes more. Um, let's see. Anthony says, I can't find enough companies to license to using your method. What should I do to find more companies to license to? Um, you know, that's a big thing that we are, our um, coaches help out with. They look at the product and they, they analyze it with you when you look at it. And some of the mistakes that people make, Anthony, is, oh, I can only license to companies that make more or less very similar products. When really you should be broadening it out to, oh, they're in this product category. Like, they're, um, they don't make flower pots, but they're in gardening sort of thing, right? You know, so, okay, they're not making flower pots, but, you know, this flower pot's pretty cool with the features it has. So they might be willing to go outside. They're normally making tools and do a flower pot. But if you only go to people that make flower pots, maybe you're limiting yourself. That's a weird example I've never come up with before. But so people limit themselves to um, – only companies making things extremely similar when you can broaden it out to companies in that product category. Um, another thing people do is they have a, first you want to look at your retailers, who are your retailers, and then you hit the manufacturers and those retailers, and people make an anemic list of retailers. They only go with the ones they know that are near them, and you got to get online and find a bigger list of retailers. That's another, those are the two biggest mistakes that I see people make there. So try, Anthony, give that a shot, see if that helps. Uh, oh, actually, that wasn't Anthony's question. That was, that was, no, that was Anthony's. There you go. Okay. Uh, Dwayne says, how do I negotiate for more royalty percentage? Well, Anthony, it's always a good, I mean, Dwayne, it's always a good idea to have them pull the trigger on that if you always can. But as almost every one of these Q&A sessions, I say, it's not all about the royalty rate. It's about three things. It's about the royalty rate, the price of the product, and the volume being sold. I don't care if you negotiate up from a 5% royalty to a 15% royalty, if they're only going to sell a thousand units a year, you're not going to be very happy with the royalty. So it's the royalty interviewing them about the price of the product. So is this going to be a $29 product, a $600 product? You know, so you can calculate it. So you take the royalty rate, multiply that times the price of the product, and then multiply that times the volume that you think they can do. And that's, in the end of the day, that's what's truly important. So a lower royalty, if they're going to sell 3 million units a year as opposed to 20,000, you might be perfectly okay with that. And you're going to hold them to it. And that only comes from interviewing the company. So um, getting them to pull the trigger on it, but don't ask them to give you a royalty rate until you know these other things first. You know, you need to know what they're going to sell, what they're going to commit to, and all that. Um, uh, Uh, Jay Bell says, are there any in-person aspects of licensing asking for homebound limited mobility person? I, 
you could if you're if you're homebound or you have mobility issues, licensing is the most incredible place for you. And even if you don't have those issues, it gives you that flexibility. You know, you can send a LinkedIn message to a potential licensee at 3 a.m. in the morning. Um, you you do not need to meet them in person. We get students that insist on doing that. They go, you're going to waste your time. You're going to waste your time. And almost every time they come back when they insist on it, Andrew, you're right. That was a waste of time. Because how licensing works, it's like a phone call, five or six emails, a phone call, two or three emails, a phone call. And and if you want to do a Zoom meeting or a Skype meeting, that makes sense sometimes. But they're not buying you. You, They just need to understand that you're not a wacky mentor. You're easy enough to work with. You don't need to be a captive industry. You don't need to, like, become best buddies with them. And you don't need to fly out and meet with them in person. And it's absolutely not necessary. Now, we've had students do deals. And two, three, four years later, they'll go to a trade show and they did a deal with this company and they'll meet Bob and they'll meet Sally and they'll go, hey, guys, I, I just wanted to meet you. I licensed this product to you a couple of years ago. And, and that's great. Oh, hey, yeah, it's selling well. And, you know, we love this product and things like that. But it's not necessary to do a licensing deal at all. And um, But everybody is in that situation right now because in-person meetings aren't happening. Um, so don't worry about that, um, Jay Bell. That's... Don't worry about that at all. So I, I love that if you're homebound or you have limited mobility, that that I know there might be other things in your life where that limits you. This will not limit you in any way, shape, or form. So that's a great thing. It's nice to help people that have issues like that. Um, so David says, I'm adding an improvement to an already marketed product. How do you decide royalty on an improvement? So it really, it really depends. Um, you know, I mean, some of the inventors, they want to say, <coughs> well, your product sucks. This product should replace that product. And they're selling 100,000, 200,000 units, you know. So is it something, if they're already selling 200,000 units and you're just going to add a little something to it, you might not get a royalty on, you might get a smaller royalty. Right. You got to figure out how much additional value this is bringing. If they're selling 200,000 units of this and now you sell your product and now they're going to sell 250 or 300,000 units of it a year. Um, you got to figure out how much value it brings. So for you to get 5 percent royalty on something they are already selling 200,000 units a year, you know, and it's not going to get them to sell it one additional one. This, these are the things they're thinking. So you have to take that into into account. Um, now, another company, they may take on the product and they might want to compete with the company selling 200,000 units a year, and it's a whole new product for them. And in that case, a, a full 5 or 8% royalty or something might make sense. Um, but if the company is already selling a ton, you, know, you might take a lower royalty for that. It all depends on what you're bringing to the table. How much is it going to push additional people over to buy it? Because they're already buying it. Um, and, uh, you know, you just try to get as many deals on the table and you analyze these things as, as, you come, as they come about. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, good. That's a good question from Jacob. I like this one. Thanks for answering my question. Any methods to identify companies who are open to innovation? Question mark. I see companies I may wish to pitch to, but I realize they're just rebranding products from Alibaba. So this is a very good point. 
especially when you're you're looking at like Amazon. So there's a ton of people, Americans, Europeans, Canadians, other folks, and they're just importing junk from China, slapping their name on it and reselling it. And when you look at their products, it's pretty obvious. So are one of those companies going to innovate? Probably not, you know? And so, you know, and they're probably not doing the kind of volume. They're probably not the right type of company for you either. They're not doing big volume. Now, if they're doing really big volume, you might be like, oh, we'll actually innovate on this one. We like it and we'll license it. But if they're just mom and pop shops and they're just importing something, slapping their name on it, and sometimes you'll see them on Amazon. Like I'll look at a product because I'm a, I'm a shopper. I like to save money. And then I'll look for, I'll do a search. You know, I'm pretty good at searching on Amazon. And then I'll find five other companies. You can tell it's the exact same product. Those companies are probably not that innovative. But you can look at their product line and go, oh, no, they got some innovative stuff over here that 10 other companies aren't selling the exact same thing as well, right? Um, so in that case, those aren't the companies, Jacob, that you'd want to license to for the most part. Very good observation. I talk to people about that a lot these days. Um, uh, Oliver, hi, Andrew. I'm in the ninth inning of a deal with a big truck door manufacturer. Cool. The biggest truck door manufacturer in the world. My invention is a safety device that opens and closes the door. They won't do a minimum guarantee, though. So there are some companies, it's very common for companies to dig their heels in with the minimum guarantee, but you kind of say a few things that we give you to say, let it sit a bit and they come back, they will fine, but lower. So it's something that companies will frequently argue about. And if we do not let our students do deals without minimum guarantees or with an alternate type of minimum guarantee, there are other alternate types of minimum guarantees, other types of guarantees in which that if they license the product and they just don't do anything with it, you can still take it back. So there are other um, alternate ways to handle that, Oliver. Um, it doesn't sound like you're a student of ours. Um, we can help you through that. If you want to become a student of ours, we can help you through that. So if you want to call the main number and reach out to set up time to talk with me, I'm happy to um, talk to you about that because there are other alternate things you can use when a company beats you up with minimum guarantees. Usually we kind of hold strong explain it to them and then they come back a week to, well fine you know and um but if they just really don't want to there are other alternate paths you can go um so we're about three minutes over uh okay you're welcome j bell um Yeah. Okay, let, let's answer this last one, then we'll call it a, a day. Uh, ben said, I sent my sell sheet to a company, and they weren't interested, and they said they weren't entertaining submissions at the moment. Should Well, you should have asked permission first before you sent it, but that's not the end of the world. Sounds like you sent it unsolicited. Um, should I be worried about my idea being stolen? I have a PPA. You know, no. In the... Should I? You can worry about it if you want, but we haven't had one of our students get knocked off in 20 years. You, you filed your PPA. You created a paper trail on what you sent them and when, so you, you're protected quite a bit. Um, you know, and 
most inventors would rip themselves out of their own fear. So let's say you start becoming fearful about that band. Oh, I sent it to them. They said, we're really not doing submissions right now. We're not interested. And now you're worried about being stolen. So let's say that paralyzes you. And now you're not sending yourself to 20, 30, 40 other companies. They didn't rip you off. You just ripped yourself off out of your own fear. So you have to get over this. You have to assume some level of risk. You file the PPA. You created the paper trail with sending them the email. That's the best you can do. So, no, I wouldn't be overly concerned about that. I, you know, it could happen. Could. But that's just the risk you take. And we don't find that it's happening to students all the time. We haven't had it happen to one of our students. Now, our students operate at a much higher level than the average of They're not doing insane, crazy stuff. Companies that might consider knock you off, uh, you know, uh, Bob, Sally, like Sally's a marketing manager. And she says to Bob, the unethical CEO, uh, I know, Bob, I know you just want to go ahead and do this. Uh, this person, Andrew, he seems like he knows what he's doing. I think we should use a license and move on. He's not like that wacky inventor from a year ago. I don't think we should mess with him. I don't think we should go ahead and do it anyway. You know, his sell sheet says patent pending on it, you know. And, and so conducting yourself professionally is the best form of protection, better than any, any patent or provisional. Um, so I, I, wouldn't over, I wouldn't worry about it then. I would move on. You'll end up, if you don't show it to anybody else, you'll end up ripping yourself off. So go for it, man. Utilize the year the provisional gives you and go for it. Um, all right. So we're about six minutes over. We're going to call it a night. Um, I'm from now on, I'm going to uh, start doing these on Mondays, at the same time at 4 p.m. Pacific. We have so many other webinars and other things we do for our students. And uh, we, we're doing um, public webinars now on Thursdays for the public as well. Monday is the only day where I can do it kind of in the evening um, from 4 to 5 Pacific. So this will be our new time for a little bit. Um, we won't be doing these forever. So take advantage of these while I'm doing them. But we've been doing them for a while now. Um, during this whole uh, health crisis thing. Um, so, and I really enjoy it. You guys had amazing questions. Um, uh, they say, Asher says, um, yeah, okay. Sorry, I can't jump into more questions, guys. I got to, but, but thank you. Thank you for all the kind comments you guys have been sending me. Um, I'll just close it out with something I like to say, you know, coming up with ideas for most of you as part of who you are, it just happened to you one day. So, um, and after a period of time, you're like, I'm tired of just dreaming stuff up. I got to start working on stuff. Just by the fact that you listen to me ramble for an hour shows you guys are serious about working on this. I encourage you guys to do the business side of licensing, reach out to companies, whether it's just reading our books or watching your YouTube show or signing up for a coaching program, but do it one way or another. You should do it. Don't be afraid. Jump in. It'll feel so incredible when you start doing it and start getting feedback from companies like Ben and others that are reaching out. And be a little scary, too. But yeah, a little scary if you have an invent right coach, but do it regardless, whether you have the money or whether you don't, um, whether you're getting our help or whether you're doing it on your own. One way or another, do it. It's part of who you are. It just happened to you one day. And you started coming up with ideas. But now, oh, crap, now i got to do this business stuff. Yeah, you do. But you don't need to run the company. You're going to dump all this off on some big company and go move on to the next idea. And that's the beautiful 
thing about licensing. So I'll remind you guys, take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch you next time. See you guys. Bye.